We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Yin's No Ball podcast. I'm John Ledger. With me is Brad Spielberger. And we are, yeah, we're cranking out another episode because I'll be gone next week. And so we wanted to make sure you guys had enough content uh, to get you through in the meantime. So we are going to talk about centers today for the Steelers, free agents and draft options um, for the Steelers at center, which I think is actually a very interesting draft crop and free agent crop. So the idea that they couldn't upgrade at center this offseason, like if that is indeed the case and they roll it back and they don't upgrade at center, that is a travesty because there are a lot of options that would be upgrades over Mason Cole. Before we do that, though, Brad, how about this quote by Kevin Colbert? How about this anti-analytics guy? <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful one. It's a, it's a, it's a classic. Um, you know, we, we've heard them all. It's just interesting. Like, I, I obviously know that there are people, including at PFF, that probably speak too confidently or like think they have the magic answer. And I, you know, I don't think that we do. And I think most people here don't think that. But I find it interesting when you hear these like antagonistic quotes from people um, talking about their own in-house people. I know the people, the analytics people in pretty much every building, they're not like going up to GMs and being like, hey, I know how to like draft smarter than you do. Like, it's just weird that they have this like very like angry like viewpoint of their own in-house analytics team that probably doesn't raise their voice to them at any point ever, at least that from what, from what I've heard. So it's just, it's just interesting. Um, can you measure intangibles? No, that's why they're intangibles. Uh, can you use <laughs> it's data? It's like literally make... by definition. Correct. Let yeah, me read can the you... quote. Should I read the yeah, quote? Yeah, please, so, do, please do. Okay. So if people don't know what we're talking about, uh, by the way, Kevin Colbert was interviewed on the North Catholic athletic podcast. Then he was asked about whether analytics are overused in football. He says, I do think they're overused. Uh, at the end of my career with the Steelers, obviously it came into play. And I used to encourage our younger scouts and say, keep me up to date. Tell me what I'm missing. We add analytics people. I think that's news. Uh, I used yeah. to challenge them. I said, when you guys can measure the intangibles, let me know, because that's the most important thing. So he went on to say some other things here. Um, let's see. Um Decisions to go for it are on fourth down or other in-game decisions are ones that should essentially be made by gut feeling. He said analytics in that context don't account for the crowd. The crowd. Ooh, crowd. <laughs> crowd, okay. The big factor. That's a new variable. I, I love it. Love it. That is unbelievable. <laughs> that part I actually had just glossed over. I didn't even notice that. The health of the team or recent player performance. Yeah, that's, I that's mean, the health common. of the player. Could fact could matter like in a we game. Get the, we always get 
What if the left guard's hurt? I don't know why left guard, not not tackle center. It's always the left guard. That's the most common. I was anyway. thinking more like the quarterback. Yeah, that would matter. Yeah, but that that's always a classic. So that one's that one's that one's run of the mill. Okay. Yes. Okay. And or recent player performance. If a guy who's good has been bad for the last five plays, he probably might just be bad. That doesn't make any sense. Um, you as you as the this is his exact quote. You as the coach or you as the player has to be able to make critical decisions under pressure situations. And I don't think there is any analytic that can measure that. I don't think there's an intangible that can measure it. It's just that feel that that coach may have have to have at a certain point is trust in that play and that player to make that play in a critical situation. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much all that he said on it. So <clears throat> never mind the fact that those players that have made those that they're in position to make those plays and what that coach knows of that player are things that analytics measures, like whether they've been good or not, basically. That's what analytics tells you, but you'd have to actually know what that is like and i'm not even saying that every analytical approach is the best one like ever that you should use an analytic for every decision you make as a gm but this is what people say who like want to let you know oh yeah like we had analytics people in our building like oh i could draw parallels to other things in our society where this is true used but oh yeah we had analytics people in our building like uh, we definitely like yeah we're no but like yeah i don't want them to make any of my decisions for me it's like well <laughs> okay well what are you using them for you don't even know what they could measure so how would you ever know to use them you'd never trust these people like you never trust people who told you the anal analytics would tell you to make this decision or, or do this or that like and it's just a bad process analytics are based on what actually happens in football they're not just made up numbers they're based on things that have actually happened like things that happened in the history of the game and so like yeah you just don't even he, he doesn't even understand what he's talking about and honestly derisively talking about it like this way is indicative of the fact that he is afraid of what he doesn't know. Like, and a lot of people are, and just in general, like as a, as a general principle, the things that you don't know tend to scare you to the point where like you ridicule them to make it seem like you're, you ignoring those things aren't as, isn't as insignificant, isn't as significant as it is. And it's a significant thing that I think has hurt this franchise for a long time. Obviously, Colbert's not the GM anymore. And, and so some of this is past tense, but it's a big reason why this organization was where it's at. It's a big reason why Mike Tomlin and Colbert work so seamlessly is that Tomlin sees things very similar to Colbert in this way. And uh, that is a big reason why this organization just hasn't really progressed for years now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I got to add crowd noise to uh, my fourth down decision model. I, uh, I'll circle back and let you know what, what that. Uh, no, but uh, what all is, decided, but then he would it. also be the same coach of the same breath. Say, oh, we don't make excuses. We don't do this. We're, oh, but you're making decisions based on crowd noise. Crowd noise. Like, crowd noise. That's that's a great. I'm glad you read the full quote because I hadn't seen that either. <laughs> no, it's funny. It is a boogeyman. It's it, like if I was trying to pitch, you know, data informed decision making to a team or try to like I would just I would never use that word. I would. If I was trying to get a job or trying to build out a department, if I was, you know, maybe a new hire at X team that's kind of behind the times, I just you can't use the word analytics because now they just slap the word analytics on literally anything they don't like uh, or don't agree with or don't understand, like you said. Uh, but no, look, it's it's a beautiful thing. Here's the thing. I tweeted this the other day because there was all these arguments about um, it was, you know, the Lions game, what Dan Campbell did. We don't need to really have these arguments anymore or fight these battles anymore. The AFC Championship game, the Chiefs went for it on fourth and two in the mid- middle of the field and scored a touchdown. The Ravens, the next possession, had fourth and one at their own 34-yard line and went for it, and Lamar scrambled for 20 yards, and then they scored a touchdown. There was only one touchdown the rest of the entire game. <laughs> like, like two of the three scoring drives of the entire AFC Championship game were because teams did things that 10 years ago no one would ever do. So, look. Ignore it all you want. You just won't, you won't be playing in those games. Uh, it's, it's kind of as simple as that. So it, it yeah. you know, I will say this, though. Intangibles do matter, and the person personal element and human element, all this stuff does matter. And the Steelers are great drafting compared to the rest of the NFL over the last 20, 25, whatever years. There's no doubt about that. I think the fascinating thing is when Colbert was GM, doing all those things at, at a high level could get you Super Bowls. Now I think it gets you into the playoffs, and then you face teams that are also doing those things and are are you know digging into the weeds and and finding more edge cases and 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 what have you. And those are the teams that are playing in you know late January or in February. So yeah, like it's 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 the Steelers are fascinating because they are still. It's tough to feel as though you need to change your process or do things differently if you look around and say, well, yeah, you know, the the Jaguars and the, I don't know, the Bear, like, I don't even know, you know, like, these teams have analytics departments and we're more successful than them every year. It's true. It, it is true. So it's it's uh, it's pretty funny. But yeah, anyway, yeah. Uh, crowd noise. It's like, it's like a humorous <laughs> crowd noise. We're just going to end every thought. Yeah. Every, all our segues will be crowd noise. <laughs> um it's just a humorous way to evaluate. Like it doesn't even make any sense. Like comparing yourself to those organizations, you're well, they don't have. While meanwhile, teams and organizations that lean into more analytical approaches are lapping you every year. Are winning games in the playoffs, which you're not doing every year. Are clearly like building stronger rosters, have better processes than you do, and you're just continuing to say intangibles. And the intangibles line was just hilarious to me, Brad, because not only is it ridiculous coach speak gm speak like old school football speak because obviously intangibles matter no question the whole like point of analytics is you said yeah like that's the whole thing with intangibles like you can't measure them that's the idea behind them like they're literally unable to that's the definition so like acting like you've made some salient point when you say that is just hilarious like like just love to hear the sound of your own voice type of leadership which cracks me up but then just look, look at it on his face value like 
This guy is touting intangibles is why his strategy is better than that that would use analytics. This is the dude who traded up for Devin Bush, which analytics never would suggest to do. Trading up for an off-ball linebacker? Are you kidding me? Devin Bush, who like at times wasn't even trying on the football field for the Steelers. Deontay Johnson, who like I think he and George Pickens are great players. But the intangibles, like Johnson at least works hard, but Pickens, like intangibles, like that's, that's what told you to draft George Fick, Chase Claypool. Like, I'm sorry. Like this is, I mean, this is just a ridiculous approach, like to drafting, like, because even if it were true and you were just drafting like saints everywhere across the board, it doesn't mean they'd be good ball players, but you weren't even doing that. You're not even doing what you said you're doing. You're saying like acting like intangibles matter to you and all this stuff. You're drafting Chooks or Corfor and you're you're benching him the whole season because of intangibles. Like it's just like doesn't even make sense as a process. You're not even doing what you're saying you're doing. So you're not even good at your own process. Like so yeah, you should probably take in some outside noise. And by the way, when you do nail it with a Najee Harris or somebody like that, a Dan Moore, all oh, those guys are really you know just great football players. We love the way they approach the game. They're really moving that win-loss needle for you, aren't they, Chief? Like, it's just a terrible process. I'm not even saying I like Dajiers. I, I hope he plays football in Pittsburgh for a long time as long as he's affordable. But it's just a bad way. It's a bad philosophy. Like, you spend a first-round pick on Dajiers because you think he's this great leader and all these other things, and I get it. But, like, analytics would tell you it doesn't matter. Like, he's not going to move the needle enough at that position. And sure enough, a guy who you wh- – where was Jalen Warren? Was he undrafted seventh Undrafted. Round? undrafted so an undrafted guy is ends up being a better player than than the guy you took in the first round because that's all but to look at that and just be like yeah we don't need to change anything about our process like that the, a, a process that would have said to, to to not do that is is not one that could possibly be right it's just it's just so foolish and it's in, in the arrogance is one that we is the thing we keep going back to it's like the arrogance to think that and now colbert's gone but he still feels this way right the arrogance to think that like your way is just clearly better than these other ways. And you didn't even have to examine a process that was clearly flawed because there's just no way anybody else could have superior knowledge of this than you could. And the fact that a head coach and GM operated like that for so long, it worked when you had all the good players already. Then they certainly added some good players. It's not like they, they were good at evaluating talent, which is still a huge part of it. Like I, I won't say Colbert was ever a bad GM or anything like that, but when it came to time to having have to really get um detailed about your processes because if you didn't this team would not be able to rebuild right the teams that are best at kind of reloading again quickly are the ones that are looking really intricately at their process and saying okay what what do we need to emphasize what do we need to focus on and he was just going and let's draft the best ball player like let's draft the guy with the best that likes football the most like those are the philosophies like and it's just like no this isn't it's not good enough like that's not a detailed enough approach you owe it to everybody in your building and frankly, the fans to do a better job of that. And he just mailed it in uh, for a long time and said that that was enough and thought that that approach was enough. And it, it it just isn't. That is not, we have better ways to evaluate now. And it's reached past the point of whether like it's a converse. Oh, some, you know, there's good points on both sides. No, like you're wrong if you think the way he does about analytics and you're right if you feel like they should be a part of your process. And there could be ranges of rightness on how much of the process and which, but, but you're wrong if you have Kevin Colbert's approach on analytics. And it's no surprise that the organization is where it is today, largely because he refused to let go of things that have been dead for a long time. The spin to the positive is that, you know, we've talked about it a little bit, but like the, the current iteration, sure, still has a lot of Kevin Colbert influence. I mean, he's probably 
was the mentor for every guy still in the building, both coaching and front office. But uh, they are trying to look. They're not going to be the Niners, the the Eagles, the Ravens, the Browns anytime soon. But uh, I mean, they hired Andy Weidel from Philadelphia for a reason. Uh, they they are going to try to at least catch up to some of those those juggernaut analytics teams. And again, yeah, it doesn't. It's not your entire process. It's literally you just saying like you just don't like having additional information to make your a decision making a little bit more informed. It's, that's the thing. I'm saying it's a brand, it's a branding issue. We obviously, yeah. you know, at PFF have this conversation 24. Like, it's it's just they we've now enabled it to where anything is just like if you don't like it or if it's if it's if it's uh, counter to the traditional approach, it's just slap the word analytics on it and yeah. make it terrible and a boogeyman and and you're condescending and you're patronizing and it's like mm-hmm. I don't know that in in the buildings I know it's not really what's happening uh, and so yeah so I think Pittsburgh. Uh, their current group, again, they're not at the forefront, but they're definitely, I don't think they think uh, fully this way either. And that's why I like Greg Olson so much because, like, I mean, obviously he was way higher level, but I, I was a football player. Like, I'm not a math person at all. Like, to me, understanding the game X's and O's wise and, like, why players do things and evaluating player performance, that's all stuff that like, comes way more naturally to me. Understanding analytics is something I've had to just continue to work at, but I love data and I love the fact anything that can inform me that add to my process, I'm a big fan of. And that's why I like Greg Olson's approach. Like he's a ball player. He he could be like a lot of these other ball players and just like throw this stuff out or not try to understand it. But instead he's out there reading, he's tweeting stats, he's showing people like this is why this stuff matters. It's telling us about what actually happened in the game. It's not some made up spreadsheet of numbers. It's telling us about what actually happened in football. Like it's drawing from football data from things that actually happen on a football field. And so, like, he's trying to explain people to, they're a very simple concept, I think, but um, to why this stuff is valuable and why it makes sense. And people just can't, because there's such this jock culture and energy around football, unfortunately, still, like, to the point, like, they can't accept the fact that math could be a part of that process and make it better. Like, they just, it just, the idea is so foreign to them because the idea whole it goes back so far psychologically, but the idea that, like, we could do this awesome physical feats athletic performance thing and you math people can and that makes us better than you right that's like gone back in time years and years and years and years right puts us on a higher echelon of human being because we're able to do those things but now you're trying to come in our world and this is our world and that it literally goes back that deep and people may chuckle at that and be like i don't know if it's that it's that deep like i i believe that with all my heart like i see people you could pick all kinds of walks of life and pull this kind of behavior out we happen to be in football and because it's a sport people take it lighthearted they don't think it's serious the reason I get fired up about it is because at the end of the day, like it's a devaluing of people and it's an overvaluing of yourself above other people. And that's, that leads to like brokenness in society that like, if we probably don't have time for on this show, but like, it's that kind of thinking. And that just leads to a lot of just, yeah, brokenness and, uh, in, in everything that we're a part of. And so the more we can get it out better. And that includes in football. I love to see that changing, um, and I hope that it continues to, and I agree with you completely. I think it is going to change in Pittsburgh. I think it's going to lead to a breaking point between Mike Tomlin and the Steel and and Omar Kwan in the front office eventually, and you know, hope we'll see if ownership stays out of that. But I think it is going to lead to a lot of those things uh, because I do think I don't think they're going to be like the Ravens necessarily, but I think they're going to continue to move in that direction of trying to look at things through an analytical lens in order to make decisions as an organization. For sure, right? Yeah, no, there's a spectrum, no doubt about it. You don't have to be, you know, at the very, very far end of the scale. Yeah, it's just it's it's kind of funny too because I also like you know we were talking here's a good example we were talking about like the DBs they like they probably have athletical thresholds for positions they draft that's analytics. Kevin Colbert's like yeah we don't take corners that have arms that are less than thirty inches long or our tackles need to be at least six foot four like 
why did you arrive at that? You looked at historical success and historical outcomes yeah. of players, right. and then you cross-compared it to their measurements, and then you said, oh, there's a much higher hit rate if you take a corner whose arms are 30 inches long. That's analytics. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it's funny. Like, Belichick was talking about, like, you know, using tendencies of opponents to kind of find, like, you know, every every time they were in 12 personnel with a, I don't know, a pistol formation, they ran the ball 85% of the time. That's analytics. Like, it's uh, – so it's, when you put it in just the football context, I think they're like, yeah, yeah we're doing advanced scouting. We're, we're, we're footballing. It's like, no, nah, I mean, yeah, you're using data to inform your decision-making. That's, that's right. what it is. Yeah, and analytics also never – chooses they never claim to be 100 right it doesn't like if you only draft tackles with this arm length you will never miss right. one and you will always hit one like that's how people treat it and act like it is and yeah. they, like they act like oh that nothing claim that we'll go with this philosophy instead no it's data processing so like if 95 percent of tackles with you know sub 33 inch arms like never become you know irregular starters in the nfl or start 20 plus games or you know choose whatever measure you choose to look at i mean pro bowls are, are broken but that would be like a higher end way of looking at it would become like starters in the nfl or you could use pff grades or whatever like to evaluate by if if that never happens with a player with sub 33 inch arms as a tackle then like you can still draft that player to play tackle for you but you have to understand that player if he hits will be an outlier out yeah. of hundreds of examples of players who failed in that capacity. So you are betting against literal odds because you believe so much in that player for that. So you can choose to take those chances for sure and see if that works for you. Like Antonio Brown is a good example, right? Like his physical and, and athletic attributes. Now I think there's range on that compared to like wide receivers. Like we've seen there, I don't think analytics would tell you like, oh, because you ran a four five at five ten, like you can't be drafted. Like I think there's enough examples of players like that hitting that it wouldn't have said that, but like he's an outlier, certainly in terms of his testing and his physical stature to become as great as he was at least. And I think that, but things like arm length, the tackle and like why we talk about that kind of stuff, the three cone at at, uh, edge rusher and why we've talked about those kind of stuff. A lot of those things have been found to be disqualifiers and it doesn't mean that a player can never hit, but their likelihood of hitting is just way less. And so we are all playing the odds because the draft is a broken process. And so just an example of like, how that information is supposed to be processed. If you understand that all, none of this is hundred percent chance and all of it is playing odds, then you are going to want to take something that gives you the information in order that will tell you what the better odds are. And whether you always make that decision or not could depend on a lot of different things, but it should absolutely be informing your decision-making as a GM. And if it isn't, you're making mistakes, like period. You're just missing a huge thing that will help you. Yeah, yeah. So you know, even even said it's he's aged beyond it, and uh, you know the the new new crop figured out. New uh, crops in. Yeah, yeah. I think they will. This is past tanks. I'm just working it all out. This is yeah, my yeah, says yeah. This is good for me. Right, so. right. This is like <laughs> it's like when you you know like you uh your team like fails in the playoffs and you read you know the article from the athletic comes out like a year two years later and then there's internal turmoil and you're like God, like, yeah, I yeah. knew they were. Yeah, I knew I could tell the vibes were off or something like that. You know, I knew they didn't like Russell Wilson for a reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, my favorite comment, by the way, is uh, from Paul Rohde. He says Jarvis Jones was a sack monster in college. That's all the analytics I need, buddy. <laughs> that is such a funny one. That's great because <laughs> Jarvis Jones is like one of the peak examples for this. Probably just like his athletic testing and then going up against his production and reputation, like as a you know grinder or whatever i don't you know and just how miserable of an nfl player he was all right let's talk about the future though because you're right i and i i actually am this is why people a couple people asked us actually a while ago they were like why are you guys so optimistic all the time that con will turn this thing around we'll get us on the right track 
Well, you've definitely got some inside information there a little bit in terms of like knowing the process a little bit and how Pittsburgh's currently thinking about things and some of the things they want to try and do. Like you've definitely seen behind the curtain a little bit and we don't get into details on that because that stuff we won't necessarily talk about in the process. But there's enough there to inform us that like they're really thinking about a lot of like different approaches to things, which is encouraging. This past draft was encouraging. I think just valuing positions, you know, whether or not you want to argue that Broderick Jones is the right pick or not, I think is definitely up for debate, but they valued like difference-making positions, right? Pass rusher, d- defensive difference-maker with Benton and corner, obviously Broderick Jones, athleticism mattered. So I think that there was good, uh, good um, process behind those picks. Even if the player evaluation part, you're always going to quibble on that at times with people. Um, Cause I didn't think Broderick Jones was worthy of that draft selection. We'll see time will tell if he is, there were flashes that, we're encouraging, but so I think some of those things are are definitely interesting. I think this will be an organization that continues to piece it together at linebacker and probably at running back when that time comes. They obviously inherited a a great running back situation, but I don't think they're going to spend at those two positions like similar to to Philly, like not spend major assets at those positions. If they get an opportunity to somehow land like an elite player or something, maybe that happens. But you're not going to see them trading up for a Devin Bush or something like that. I don't think um, taking a Najiaris in the first round. And so, yeah, you're going to avoid some disaster situations, I think, uh, like that. And if you're going to miss, it's going to be missing big. So overall, I am an, I'm excited and encouraged about the current direction of the Steelers from a front office perspective. I do think there's a lid on things until they can get that same cohesiveness with the coach. And I'm not sure that Tomlin's willing to be that guy to change and to be that guy. We'll see. Time will tell. He gets obviously going to get an opportunity to do that. I just will kind of believe it when I see it in that regard. The Broderick Jones thing, just to, I know it's not the main point you're making, but it's an interesting thought uh, again to our previous conversation. So yeah, Paris Johnson at six, Darnell Wright at ten. The Steelers trade up to get him at four, Broderick Jones at fourteen. The next tackle off the board was Anton Harrison at twenty-seven, and then you could argue the next tackle drafted was Wanya Morris at ninety-second overall by Kansas City. Like it was, you know, there are guys like a Matthew Bergeron who played tackle in college, but he was a clear guard in the NFL, um, and, and that's where he played for what was it Atlanta this past year. So, like that was again a thought process of not that you always want to be, you know, like making decisions based on your fear of, the, of guys getting lost or stuff like that. But they may have sat there and been like, we need a starting tackle. And if we don't take one now, we miss on this guy. And maybe we don't, we don't like Anton Harrison that much. There is not an answer. Like we need to go start calling Jason Peters or something to figure out a different alternative. Like it was, you know, so I think it was again, kind of a, an informed process of, you know, cause they don't trade up very often. I know you mentioned Devin Bush, but they tend to just stick at their own spot and pick who they pick. And frankly, I think even that is a sign where you look, trading down is generally what you want to do. Um, but like we said, if you're going to do it for a premium position, a young athletic starting caliber tackle, uh, then I think that's, you know, like there, there are instances where you're less uh, perturbed by it. And I remember, I think I tweeted this out, actually, it was one of the like cheaper trade ups in that range in a while. Like It did not cost the, the Steelers. If you compare all trade ups in the 20, 15 to 20 range, it was not a particularly expensive trade. So, yeah, I mean, it's. That's it's another good example, and I, and I do think the positional value thing is huge, and the Eagles and Weidel, that's that's always been their bread and butter, and Pittsburgh gets that. I just think you still do see your Terrell Edmonds picks, your Devin Bush pick, you know, like things still fall through the cracks that just would never happen uh, in some other buildings. Right, exactly, and that, and that's the thing. Colbert actually was a good evaluator of talent, and the fact that he and Tomlin did see similarly allowed a lot of cohesiveness at the top of the Steelers organization. So when they had all the all pros and the studs, it like did allow a lot of stability there, like for sure. Like, and there was a value to that. 
But if, over time, like that was always going to deteriorate and fall apart because there wasn't a good process behind it. And so hopefully moving forward, either with Tomlin or with another head coach in the future, that process, that stability can exist again with a better process behind it. One that's a little more long lasting, has more sustainability. Like that's the hope. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm encouraged uh, that I think that that from an off season front office perspective, at least that'll be the direction for now. And then we'll see if that uh, happens or not over the course of time um, in the, in the coaching level and the game level. When we talk about these games, maybe I won't always get so worked up. <laughs> All right. You want to talk about centers? Let's do it. Mason Cole, what's going to happen here, Brad? Uh, Mason Cole, this is going to terrify people, but bear with me here. I'm going to get to more positive things. Mason Cole is in some ways, Brad, kind of similar to the centers that Arthur Smith has had in the past. He likes guys that can move, and the guys he had in Atlanta could certainly move, whether it was Dolman or who was the other guy they drafted? Uh, Hennessy, like who didn't end up being a center, ended up being a guard. There may have been one other one he had there too, actually. Um, but he was having guys that could move. Guys, he get on space. That is where Cole is at his best. And he didn't necessarily care as much, or Arthur Smith didn't necessarily care as much about the fact that they could weren't great in pass protection. They had their weaknesses there. Ask him to displace somebody off the ball and you move vertically, and you probably weren't getting a lot of success. And so I'm not saying they're going to keep Mason Cole, but I am saying that Mike Tomlin clearly loves this dude. I don't know how can you? His snaps aren't even good. Like I just there's no defense for keeping Mason Cole, but there's no defense for some things that the Steelers do. And this is could be one of them. What's the contract situation like with Mason Cole in terms of evaluating him and how much they'd save and things like that? Yeah, like you said, there's no way X happens. I just think that, yeah, and then we talked about it, but the cuts that happened, their first wave of cuts with Trubisky and Okorafor and, and Harvin, um, you know, the, these guys could have been included too um, in theory. So that they're not, you know, they're not dead yet per se. There's still plenty of time. But anyway, Mason Cole – Starting center for your Pittsburgh Steelers. Where are we at here? All right. So if the Steelers cut him, they would clear 4.75 mil. And they would only carry a very small dead cap hit of about a one and a half mil. So, you know, okay. financially, it's a no-brainer. I think we talked about it. He, he is Titans-esque or, or Arthur Smith-esque. Like Aaron Brewer, who is a penny for agent, who we'll talk about in a little bit here. Cole is like similar. He's, he's a... You know, he can play a little bit of guard, probably should be a center, but like you said isn't a very good snapper and isn't particularly strong, so might lose even more reps as a guard, but is a decent mover at the second level as a, you know, athletic interior offensive lineman. But I'm just I'm not really comfortable paying that price, uh, you know, of about what five mil to keep Mason Cole on my team next year. He just his play did not warrant getting paid, yeah, four point seven five mil by any stretch. I agree. I, there's just no way this guy can start for you. He doesn't even stay. He's not even stable as a snapper of the football. You save money, even if it's just a little bit like we're getting moving on from him. I mean, it's just like, it's as bad as no brainers it gets. He is at least like apparently is, you know, intangible. So he's at least uh, that, I guess. Um, oh, yeah. We don't even necessarily see that, but I guess that's how the organization feels about him. But yeah, it's just not, uh, it's not working. He's not uh, good at his position. <laughs> which matters, I think. So let's operate from the premise, so with putting it out there for fans that we could end up being wrong, but let's operate from the premise that the Steelers do end up doing the smart thing and moving on from Mason Cole. What are the free agent options that appeal the most to you as I look at some of the options out there? Your top, just to give your top-ranked guys here uh, that you have in your in the top, is it still 150 or did you expand yet? We'll expand soon, uh, next okay. week. But it's one fifty right Expansion now. coming next week, and, and updates maybe. Are there some up guys you update? We'll be yeah. updating. Yep the okay. the rankings, the projections, all that. 
I was looking at Snead today and I was wondering if you think he'd get more than 17 and a half now, or do you still, if you still think 17 and a half million per year? It corner. might go up a little bit. He still might is, go, though, yeah. a 27 year old corner. Yeah. I mean, he was incredible. It's more just, you know, I, it, it probably will go up a little bit, but I, it's not going to be like for me, at least. And I'm, I'm happy to be wrong. I'm not going to yeah. put, you know, it's not going to start with a two. I'll, I'll put it that yeah. way. Okay. Yeah. I, I figured not. Um, I said 17. I said on the podcast I was just on 17 and a half to 19, I think would be his. Yeah. Yeah. His range, probably. Um, Connor Williams, you have as the number one center, 37th overall in the top 150, one year, six million. Obviously, had the torn ACL in week 14. So that's going to, he might be the best player, but what does that look like in the recovery side? That's going to affect his price tag for sure. So interesting to think about there. Andre James, uh, the Raiders center, you have him at three years, nine million per year uh, type of contract. Um, Lloyd Cushenberry, you have 57th year. The Broncos center has actually kind of kind uh, of put it together. I mean, he's actually had, a, uh, I think, a really good year. Even when I little I watched of Denver this year, I was like, man, he's like physically have his size uh, and be as good as he's been. I think is has been really impressed, especially in pass protection. But four years, fourteen and a half million or fourteen point twenty million per year for that one. Aaron Brewer, you mentioned uh, that's one we'll we'll talk about here. Um, you know his development and whether he fits or not. Tyler Biotish. From Dallas, uh, it seemed like he was on his way to being like one of the top paid guys like a couple of years ago, back in 2021, maybe. And then it yep. just hasn't quite been as clean since then. And so he's down there a little bit further. Um, Coleman Shelton is down there, uh, 97th. Uh, he played for the Rams. Um, he's been guard. He's been a guard too, I think. Yep. Evan Brown for Seattle. So those are kind of the names that we're thinking about. Anybody that jumps out to you? Yeah, so so the Williams one is fascinating. Like you said, torn the ACL, but midseason, like you probably could be ready for early on in the season. I, I would love to get an update there um, because he should be a center, but he can't play guard too. And so I mentioned, you know, Samalo is probably not going to be like this. This contract Samalo is currently playing on the three year deal is probably the extent of his Steelers career. I would I would guess. And so maybe Williams' position flex is interesting. And to me, he was like the best mover at the second level. Like so good at like. Cutting off the backside of uh, of run plays, um, reach reach blocks like really, he's you know he's a center in a guard's body. And I know in Dallas they obviously played him at guard. They let him go. It, you know they weren't I guess stoked with his play, but his anchor could be better I suppose. But I just think he's an absolutely perfect perfect fit in exactly what you know Miami was doing in the run game, and that of course does mirror what Arthur Smith wants to do. So the health there is fascinating because. Like, if you do explore a buy-low, give the guy a one-year flyer, let him rehab in your building and and, and rebuild his strength and, and and get confident again, and then explore a, a multi-year deal, you know, depending how that goes, I think that could be fascinating. For, for James, to me, he's more of like a gap scheme guy. Um, not a great athlete, but a good player, uh, a good pass protector. Like, he'd be a massive step up as a pass blocker at center uh, over Mason Cole, no question about it. But I do wonder how Arthur Smith would view him as a fit in the run game. It's funny, like Steelers before they hired Arthur Smith, they stuck with a similar offense. I might have said Andre James was like the number one target I had for the team. Like he really, I think, would have fallen in that bucket for me. He can, you know, the Raiders' run game was 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 diverse, but it, it was a lot of like gap and 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 like you know, um, just like just like hat on a hat type concepts. But um, but he's 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 a good player. Christian Berry's contract is massive. Maybe I'm too big there, but I, I did kind of fall in love with the uh, like the athletic the athleticism, the upside. It's a young early draft pick that did kind of think kind of put everything together 
Always been a good pass blocker, but was better as a run blocker this year. Um, yeah, and just a, just a good player out of LSU that I think, you know, was one of the best centers in the NFL this year. So, anyway, Aaron Brewer is the first one. I mentioned him already. Mm-hmm. I guess him and Arthur Smith maybe only crossed paths for like a year. Um, and Brewer's story is pretty fascinating. He literally came in at like 270 pounds at the Combine. Uh, as like this, like, um, mm-hmm. I didn't even really get invited to the Combine. He was like totally off the radar. He probably did. But anyway, came in. They added some weight to him. He was actually a left guard uh, for the most part before this past year when he kicked inside to center, um, and I thought was good. Same thing, good athlete, uh, really, really good in space. I think got better this year at getting off of you know double teams and combos and and, and getting to the second level, like d- detaching, getting to linebackers, um, and, and kind of clearing rushing lanes for for Derrick Henry and, and Tajay Spears. I think he'd make a ton of sense. And then you mentioned. You know, Coleman Shelton plays, you know, it can play ball positions, has played inside zone, outside zone, you know, gap, every all, all that good stuff. And mm-hmm. last but not least, Evan Brown was the Seattle Seahawks center this year. Um, you know, Shane Waldron does run a, a fairly similar offense. But anyway, my biggest thing is this is a pretty flush position. There are also some guys that are on the list yeah. that will probably be on the top 250, whatever. I don't think there's an excuse not to cut Mason Cole for 4.75 mil and maybe you do go spend seven eight a year at center, but it's like, all right, we're upgrading an extremely important position, which you also can further justify by being like, we have quarterback uncertainty. So having an established, good, smart, quality center, you know, goes such a long way. I think it makes a lot of sense to to prioritize that position in free agency in particular. Yeah, I I think it would be a surprise to see James or Cushenberry just knowing those schemes a little bit, knowing the player types a little bit. If Connor Williams were healthy, I would think that that one would be one maybe they actually would. I mean, perhaps he is a fit. He finally kind of seems like he's found his spot at center, and he's been like pretty good. I think the last couple of years, um, similar to most of the centers that. Um, Smith has had, and even Pittsburgh's had recently, uh, his anchor is probably the biggest issue with him. Like, there's just guys that can be more powerful than him. But he's just, I mean, he was a tackle in college. Like, and I remember I just wasn't that big a fan of him as a tackle on his tape. And then he just kept moving around. It seems like they finally found, like, a role for him that he's bought into and he's and, and he's uh, played well. And he's still just 26 years old. So maybe if his medical's not an issue, but it's not really like the Steelers to take those kind of risks. And we'll see how they assess it if he's really cheap and, you know, uh, all of those things make it a possibility. Brewer, I think definitely in terms of a scheme fit, seems like a possibility, even if there was some overlap there. Um, yeah, that is, uh, that's a, that's one, an interesting one to to note. Also, how seriously will teams like, yeah, three years and 6.6 million. I mean, for him, that would, that's a nice contract if he gets 12 million guaranteed, I think. Um, I would agree. It was on the high side for me, um, you know, in part, and we'll, and I will pivot over a little bit. So, um, the draft class doesn't have a ton of options. You know, there, there are some players teams like, but I think a lot of people thought Cedric Van Pran out of Georgia was going to be like a first or, or not first round pick, but like a, you know, second, maybe early third. I don't think he's really viewed in that light anymore. Maybe he still goes. And we've seen the last couple of years, there's been a real big push for centers. I think it's becoming viewed as a bit like less of a, I don't know, put your smallest interior offensive lineman who's kind of smart and can just like hike the ball and, and hold up. <laughs> You see, like, you know, last year, like, guys like Juice Scruggs and some of these guys go earlier and earlier and earlier in the draft um, and, and just become more more of a kind of a pressing spot. But anyway, that, I don't think the draft class this year is is nearly as good or perceived that way 
Um, so a lot of these contracts are pretty strong uh, in, in free agency, and, and maybe they're a little bit too strong. But but yeah, I would agree. Brewers, uh, that's that, I'm not, that that's as high as that one's going to go. Um, but you know, good good movable interior offensive lineman. Uh, I think we'll always get something. Yeah, this seems like, um, I mean, I think it's a pretty exciting center class. Some of these guys will be moving to center. It's always hard to evaluate this because it's, you know, so there's the guys who played center in college and there's guys who are just going to play it in the NFL and and we're not going to see, like Graham Barton, was a, what was he, a tackle at Duke? And yeah. now he's getting a look at guard and center. You know, a lot of people have him. I think uh, I saw uh, Dane Brugler as, as his number two center, I think. It's like, well, he played tackle. Like, you know, so it's like one of those things. He never played a snap of center. Every snap of his college career was a left tackle. Um, so it's just like, it's just a projection, I guess, is the best way to, to, to describe it. So Barton is one, though, that I definitely have my eye on for Pittsburgh. Uh, Size-wise, maybe he is more of a guard. Like, I don't know how many six five centers are out there. Or did he, maybe he came in shorter than that at the at the senior bowl. I didn't look. Um but yeah, he's one that I would definitely have my eye on just in terms of movement skills, athleticism, he's tenacity too. He's a finisher. Uh, he's not the biggest uh, guy. And so maybe that will, again, that for this scheme, for what for what we've seen um, Arthur Smith look for, that hasn't factored as much. Like they haven't looked necessarily for the biggest guy at center. I'm sure they'd want some combination of traits. Obviously it was always ideal, but Barton is definitely one, the Duke, uh, Duke tackle that's probably going to play guard or center. And the NFL is one that I'd have my eye on. I don't know that, you know, the one that's pretty popular to Pittsburgh right now is Jackson Powers Johnson, um, the JPJ first round pick you were telling me before I went on to, to Pittsburgh is one that's getting a lot of love right now. What do you think of JPJ? I saw some of his senior bowl tape. I've seen some of his game tape now at this point. What are your thoughts on him as a potential Pittsburgh Steeler? I love him. I think he's awesome. I think he is the best, yeah. you know, interior offensive lineman or, or I guess center in particular in this class. Um, big physical, uh, like wants to pancake you on pretty much every rep that he can. Uh, is a good mover. He's like six foot six four, three twenty. I think is what he listed at. I don't know if he came in smaller at the Senior Bowl, but um, you saw his anchor, like his reset ability in some of these pass rush, you know, one on ones he did in Mobile. Really, really good. If he would lose his spot, he would very quickly recover. Um, I, I think there's a, there's a smartness there to him as well. You can tell um, in some of the Oregon games, like they put a lot on him, and 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 that offense, you know, he's he's snapping it in shotgun ninety percent of the time, um, and, and then doing various different things that Bonex can run around for three seconds. So he's a stud. I just I'm with you. I don't know if they're going to use their first overall, their first round pick, uh, you know, on a a center, but if they were, like he's the guy in, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's the thing with JPJ that fascinates me most is that sometimes these types of prospects end up higher up the board. Um, or like for people during this time of the draft, Senior Bowl is the only pre-draft event that's happened. He's one of the best players at the Senior Bowl. He's one of the best offensive linemen. He's a grinder, all these things. And then you get further along the process. It's like, well, he's still a center. Like his physical traits are, you know, he's got this kind of, somebody said, I thought it was really funny and spot on. He's got the SpongeBob SquarePants like build to him oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like oh, oh yeah that's pretty accurate like how are teams gonna see it does it even matter what's his testing like like all this like is he like the type of center you take like that high you know i think that's where teams are going to kind of differentiate on that probably what linderbaum was seen really early in the pro like before the year before i think as like one of the best center prospects in a long time didn't he go in the 20s am i remember he went right? 25th no it's 25th yeah right and he was a I mean, like, generational that's the kind of, center prospect literally right generation yeah this is a probably better center. I mean, this center class is pretty decent. I, I 
I could see him falling on the board some now. Is he going to make it to yeah. where the Steelers pick in the second round? 52? Is that right? He, I don't think he makes 52, but you're right. No, it's a very, it's a very, very, very good point. Like you could not have had a higher, like, you know, profile than Linderbaum. I know he measured a little bit smaller than I guess people expected, mm-hmm. but I mean, he was he's like a 96 grade for us. Like, like he was, he was off the charts and everything. Um, so it's a good point. It's a good point. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, I mean, the Steelers picked 51. So is he going to make it to 51? It's possible. It's a center. Like, it just... It could happen. Uh, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it necessarily is them. They need to take a 20. I, I always have said, like, I would have taken Creed Humphrey. I think just, I didn't like that draft class at all. And Creed was one of the few players I did when said where they took Najee in that draft. You know, I just felt like I don't center is not that valuable position. And so I get it. But, you know, evaluating against the other positions that will likely be on the board in this draft, should they take a center in the first round? Maybe that's not the best process. However, uh, I I still think there's a lot of value to, to risk sounding like Kevin Colbert in taking um, a really good player there that you know is going to be a good player. And I think that JPJ, man, he was awesome at the senior bowl. Like the balance, the strength to recover, like you said, when it seemed like he was going to lose the rep early on, just grip strength is, I think, a really underrated interior offensive line. Grip strength is a trait that I like. love seeing a lot of the greats have unbelievable grip strength, you know. Um, and so I think that that's, a really great trade of his. Um, so there's a lot that I like about JPJ for sure. If he were Pittsburgh Steel, I think it'd be a good pick. It's just value compared to other players on the board. All those kinds of things, I think, is where you can get into stickier situations. But he was in, I mean, that they ran a lot of zone, right? At, 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 oh, um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. At Oregon. And so, I mean, there's a difference between all of this and there's landmarks. And, you know, he's played right guard also. He's played some left guard. Like, he has kind of experience and could be kind of a, a versatile guy, but he would definitely be an interesting option. Jackson Powers Johnson, yeah, one to keep an eye on for sure at center. How about Zach Frazier from WVU? He's another one I think that stood out to a lot of people. And he's one where I think like so he's the one who honestly he just broke his leg in that late late game uh, of the season. I don't think it's like a you know torn ligament or anything like that. If people haven't seen the video, he literally like crawls off the field because he tries not to force his team to use a timeout because it's like late in the game and like they need like, all their timeouts. So he literally army crawls with a broken leg to get off the field. Kevin Colbert, he, he can see that on film. I'll tell you right now. Uh, you, don't, you don't need any <laughs> analytics to tell you about that. So, um, but all just aside, he, he's a baller. He's physical too. I was a big fan of his. I think you get him. Honestly, I think he's like his draft starts around the Steelers first or second round pick. Yeah. Right? I think that's like probably his like ceiling. Um, and then his floor, maybe, you know, in the third round, they're sitting there. He's still potentially there. I'm a huge fan of his. I think he's less of an athlete, but he's strong. You mentioned grip strength. You mentioned, um, like, just like he gets his hands on you and you, you kind of just seem swallowed, uh, but not in a holding manner, just in just a, like he's just a bear. Uh, I'm a big fan of his. Yeah. Wrestling background is, I love yeah, that. Uh, when you can get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'm not surprised. I didn't know that, but I'm not surprised. Yeah, I love that part of it. Uh, when you can get it, I think it's a very valuable. Just hand usage is just it's very similar to like how you use your hands and you know if you're strong enough. And he's he's also got that low center of gravity frame, which I don't think you necessarily like. You can't be a taller center, but I do have seen it hurt guys uh, also at times. 
Um, so yeah, he's one that I definitely have on my radar. I, I very much could see him being a Pittsburgh Steeler, like, and I can't wait to actually, I'm going to, I was telling you before we went on air, I think I'm going to do centers next. I'm doing corners right now and actually have a podcast coming out, uh, sometime this week. I don't know when I'll post it, but, um, with, with, uh, Rashad McGinnis, we're going to talk through some of the top corner prospects. So fans can listen to that one over if they're subscribers at audibles and analytics, I think it's like $5 a month or something like that, or even less if you do the yearly subscription, it's like $4 a month for a year. Um, so it's pretty cheap, but if you need help with that, just let me know if you want, uh, your financial situation, need that assistance that will be glad to help you out with that. But, I'm going to look at the centers next, I think, because I just feel so strongly that the Steelers are probably going to upgrade at some point at center. And probably this off season seems like there's a lot of good options. You could save money from a bad center and move on. And Frazier is certainly one that's high on my list. Barton is as well. Powers Johnson. Those three are all ones that I'll be taking a long look at. Cedric, is it Van Praan? Van Pran, Van Praan. Van Praan? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it is Van Pran. Maybe I was trying to be too fancy with Pran. <laughs> yeah, you were, it was very like sophisticated, like ha ha of you. Yeah. He um is kind of he's been the one that I think was early in the process, center one, like this guy's yep. an animal. And yep. then it feels like as time's gone on that he's kind of fallen off a little bit. The intangibles box, from what I've heard, he checks. What about the rest of his game though? I don't know if you've gotten a chance to look at him. I haven't watched the film yet um, for this past year. I watched a little bit, actually, of his you know penultimate season because the Bears are also in, in dire, dire need of a center. And, yeah, he was the guy everyone's like, oh, I just take him in, like, the second round. And I'm like, if you're going to use a top 50 pick on a center, they better be a phenomenal, phenomenal player. I, I don't really know why people were that much in love with him. I think it was just kind of like a we heard his name a lot. He was on a good Georgia offensive line. I mean, look, he is young. Like he's a true junior. Like he's coming out, I think, at like 22 years old, like which isn't young, I guess, but it's not old. Um, he's solid in space. I thought, like that, you know. But I just, I don't know. I, I wasn't, I wasn't overly impressed. He's a good football player. I just, I wasn't sitting there being like, oh, I gotta have this guy on my team. Yeah, it seems like the athleticism and the physical traits won't be as good. Like he's definitely shorter armed, it seems like. And there's an expectation that physically he's not going to be like what every team's looking for. Uh, but I need to get to the tape on him. I have not studied that. Actually, Georgia will probably be one of my first stops because Amarius Mims is getting draft mock drafted to the Steelers like crazy, the right tackle uh, for Georgia. So he'll probably be another one um, that I look at. I don't know how many of these other guard converts would be good centers you know it seems like most of these guys like Fautenu from Washington Jordan Morgan could play I mean these are guys that play tackle and could probably will probably move inside Cooper Beebe um, from Kansas State is another big big guy guard uh, puny from Kansas I don't know that any of these guys I mean maybe Christian Haynes he was it's possible he did get to snap some at the senior bowl he was actually pretty good at the senior bowl. He's not that big of a guy. So he's 6'2, 313. He's more of the center size. Teams tend to want to move those smaller offensive linemen to play center. So maybe he could be a fit. I will say the snaps at the senior bowl. Now I don't know how much experience he has, but they were pretty rough. So it would be a development thing for him, I think. I think he's like 24, 25 years old, too. Oh, wow. Maybe I'm making that up. Maybe I'm thinking it's oh, always happens. Push- the players who are good at the senior bowl, you're like, oh, man, that guy's good. Like, and there's like, oh, he's 25. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Could- so he's like, Significantly older than a lot of the guys he's playing against, like in strong. Yeah, probably. I could be making that up. That could be Christian Mahogany, who's a, I think a graduate, who also had a phenomenal Senior Bowl per a lot of reports. Um, I saw a couple good reps. I, I, 
I don't remember specifically, but he's like, I think he's going to be 24 on draft night. But any, anyway, um, Haynes good. Haynes is a good mover. Uh, really, really good. Like, would be would be a fit for Arthur Smith. Um, and now that I'm looking at it, it says he's a redshirt sophomore. So I don't see how, I don't see how he'd be 24 years old. So maybe redshirt senior. Redshirt senior. Excuse me. Redshirt senior. So, yeah. okay. So he's probably on the older side. Let's see. Christian Haynes, UConn. Did you look, try looking it up? We can't find his age. I'm looking it up right now, but when you can't find it, that's always the, yeah, it's always the old guys. Yeah, there's always a reason. I don't see anything. Yeah, it's well, not. Yeah, it's stalk nowhere, social media. He's like 24. Yeah, I love when people like stalk the social media and they they find out when people wish them happy birthday. Yeah, it's like, yeah, oh, yeah, this, yeah. This is wild. Yeah, <laughs> I, for I, sure. I ain't got time for that. Um, yeah, yeah. So anyway, he's, so he's, he's on the older side for sure. He's the number one guard for PFF. He's a good player, no question about it. I I agree with Trevor on that one. I, I haven't watched the, the whole class, but I, I see why he says that. And. Dane has him as a number five guard, but some of these guys, I bet he has a guard that Tra- Trevor's probably got a tackle. Like yeah, like Fatanu. Uh, Fatanu, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Morgan, Jordan Morgan was playing tackle. I thought play- he played tackle, I thought, or at least in one-on-ones more at the Senior Bowl. 6'4", 312, maybe he will be a guard. I, I guess. A guard. Oh, that's small. I thought Jordan um, Morgan was, was – he was listed bigger than that, at least. Oh, maybe maybe he was bigger than that at the Senior Bowl. I don't know. No, I think in you know classic college listing oh, yeah. fashion, he was like six six three twenty five, whatever. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. I mean, even Christian Mahogany um, from Boston College is definitely a possible um, switch. And so, yeah, there could be some other options. But right now, these are the guys that are on our radar. And so, looking forward to to watching many of them. I think. But this is a position that they need to get better at, and I don't think it necessarily has to break the bank to do that. That's the thing. Like, I think that this could be a situation where. Um, you know, they continue to add talent and, and they could draft somebody and sign a cheaper free agent. You know, if it's Connor Williams on a one year or something like that, it's it's not an pr- approach Pittsburgh typically takes to double dip like that. Um, but it's one that could work for them, I think, if they decided to go down that road. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Also, why did Marius Mims like not play ever? Injuries? He played like eight games, right? Was it an injury? This he didn't start before this year, right? Because they had gather guys and yeah. Oh, because yeah, because I guess they had what's his name, but not only Paris, but I mean not Paris, uh, Roderick and uh, Dewand. So then yeah, and then he and then he yeah. only played two like three hundred snaps. Wait, wait Dewand was Ohio State. No, he was Ohio State too. Well, I'm just mixing. I'm just blending Ohio State and Georgia tackles. I'm blending, I'm blending tackles. Why didn't he? Uh, only had eight career starts in college. Yeah, I don't know. Doesn't say. Maybe he couldn't beat out anybody before. And they Six, have seven, great, great players. It's just yeah. I mean, it is Georgia. So one yeah, of it's Georgia. There. Yeah, they're not necessarily. <laughs> it's not as big of a red flag for sure. Right. <laughs> anyway, oh, he's I got suppose. Tyler Guyton. We're going to talk about tackles probably in the next pod once I get back, I think. But oh, yeah. Because we'll try to figure out what the heck the Steelers are doing. Like, obviously, no chukes. So, but they love Dan Morris. They might not even take it. The tackle is the weird one. Like, they are getting mock tackles in the first round and they could take a tackle in the first round or they could not take a tackle at all. Like, in the off, whole offseason. Right. Like, right. Those are our starters, like, and we're not we even got our guys. Like, you know, we might resign Dan Moore. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Might have to give him extension. We yeah. can't. We can't do this with Dan Moore. Not far, another year. If Dan Moore and Mason Cole are starting for the Steelers, not because of injury, let's say, if they're starting yeah. for the Steelers yeah. by choice, week one of the 2024 NFL season, we're done with the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Bold claim. I was gonna say like. Then they better have like Legarius Sneed and like you know they they better be spending like gangbusters elsewhere. Yeah. It's the only justification. Uh, you just want you just want to call call it a day and just wrap up shop. That's hey, that's that's fair. That's fair. 
I can't watch these. I love O line play. I can't watch these clowns play again. Yeah, Dan Moore. Dan Moore, there's a chance. Is, there's a yeah, real chance. He's a better chance than, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's disgusting. Brutal. Hey, look, you got to control costs. I, I, at least with Dan Moore, you could say, like, he's very cheap. Like he's bad, obviously, but like he's cheap, and there's not. I mean, that's true that free agency is like they're not going to go pay big money for somebody in free agency. So you could say like, who are we going to get that's better? I mean, obviously the draft would be an option, but even if they draft somebody, more probably will start the season and Broderick will play out. Right. Oh yeah. Absolutely. You're still looking at get ready for some Dan Moore tape, baby. It's coming. Four years of watching Dan Moore the turnstile, brutal, (laughs) rough. Um, okay, that wraps up our thoughts on the center group, I think, and our analytics rants. Um, so we will be go- we will be out of commission next week because I'll be away on a cruise. Um, you'll be recovering after the season, getting ready for free agency and launching this top 250 probably or whatever. So it actually comes at probably a good time for you too. Uh, we'll take this mini break. And then we will come back at the content hard uh, and continue to, to get these podcasts out there and wrap up these position groups before we get to free agency and possible trades and like all the new league year and all that kind of stuff is coming up the draft. We're going to get into these draft prospects a lot. I'm hoping to sneak some tape watching. If, if brittle let me, I'm going to watch some tape. Trevor's going on this cruise with us. Uh, oh yeah. So Trevor and Alyssa. So hopefully that like they're cool with us, like sneaking and watching some tape, you know, <laughs> so, I know you guys are going to be watching some tape. I'll be watching tackles that we talk about a pre-show. So I'll be very ready for the okay. tackle conversation. Um, yeah, I know you guys will be watching some film. I'll text you. I'm sipping some good beverage and I'll, uh, let you know, a tackle and watch <laughs> Yeah. You're like, Hey, Trevor gave me his ultimate login. He said that you had, you yeah, had right. a password to give me too. Yeah. If Trevor gives me the ultimate login, I'm never coming back. <laughs> Just staying on that ship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Um, sounds good, man. Uh, we will be back then a uh, week after this next week and um, taking a little break. But until then, thanks, everybody, for listening, as always, to another episode of the Yin's No Ball podcast.